Welcome to the Vacation Effect Podcast, where we discuss time and lifestyle hacks for the busy entrepreneur, helping you grow your business even faster by working less and having a lot more fun. Now, here's your host, Denise Gosnell. Welcome to today's episode of the Vacation Effect Podcast. This is your host, Denise Gosnell, and I'm super excited to have my friend Jason Campbell, who's a wellness expert, here with us today to share a lot of his awesome wellness hacks with us. Jason is a seventh degree black belt and the co-founder of Zen Wellness, where they teach a new definition of wealth that includes mobility, stability, inner peace, and clarity. Many Zen Wellness clients begin rich and broke, meaning that they've achieved material success, but it comes at the expense of their mental, physical, and emotional well-being. The company offers seminars, retreats, and online courses. Jason's meditation and Zen training began as a child through music. Jason considers music as a tool for transformation and meditation. Jason has created a music style called Five Element Meditation Music by fusing five element teachings in music to be used for both meditation and wellness. Jason has released 12 albums, including two new ones in 2019. He's also had several albums this year in the Billboard Top 5. Jason's music has opened meditation to thousands of people who've never done it before or who have tried meditation before and failed in their effort to simply sit still and clear the mind. I'm so excited to have you with us here today, Jason. Welcome. Hey, thanks for uh, having me, Denise. Yeah, I'm really excited to chat with you today because I want to get a lot of your wisdom that's going to really help busy entrepreneurs have a better quality of life. And I noticed, of course, that you have quite an impressive background as an entrepreneur, the co-owner of Zen Wellness Centers. Plus, you have a seventh degree black belt and you're also a musician. Did I get that right? Yes. <laughs> That's really cool. So I'm curious, how long have you been an entrepreneur? Oh, probably my entire life when I was, you know, eight years old, uh, shoveling my neighbor's sidewalks, you know, for mm-hmm. 20 bucks and mowing their right. So I guess I started young. Right. Well, I wanted to trace back just a little bit to what led you to the the Zen lifestyle that you have today. You know, were there periods in your entrepreneurial journey that you were ever overwhelmed and overworked on a regular basis? Or what led you to discovering the secrets to life balance that you're going to share with us today? Yeah, well, okay. Well, I guess it depends on how far back we want to go. Uh, I mean, if I want to go back to, you know, the, the beginning days, I actually began meditating at age eight. Wow. And I didn't know it was meditation. And, and what I was taught on the piano, uh, my music teacher, she was very wise. She said to me, never, ever listen to the notes. Idiots listen to notes. Masters listen to the space in between the notes. And then she said, when you listen to a note, you hear nothing because your mind is cluttered. When you focus your attention on the silence or the space or the gap, you stop the inner dialogue and your mind becomes clear. Then you hear everything. And so we would practice just like playing a note or playing a chord and then just listening to it dissolve into nothingness and then like holding the nothingness. And so I started that at very young. I didn't realize it was meditation until a decade later when I was formally trained in meditation where we would sit down and, you know, this is a different time period. This was in the 80s. So back when there was like attention spans and you'd actually sit for an hour and it wasn't mm-hmm. a big deal. And then it was, I kind of figured out, oh, wait a minute. And this is what I've been doing all these years, you know? And, and then that kind of evolved. I mean, I, I was involved in, in music as a child and yeah, I, I went to music school. I went to Berkeley music school and, and I was, then I got like really involved in also 
the martial arts and the yoga and the tai chi and the qigong and the meditation and i really liked like like the medicine the medicinal and the you know the, the spiritual component of all the eastern arts and i remember by like age 19 i i figured out they were all the same whether you're you know doing music or doing yoga or whatever it might be, whether you have a baton and conducting an orchestra or you're swinging a straight sword in a, you know, in a martial art setting, there's no difference. It's like, it's all the same thing. And so then, you know, I had a, I had a career in music. I was, I was doing a lot of stuff in music. This was in my twenties, my but I was also teaching and like, like teaching, you know, martial arts and yoga and wellness. And then, so I remember just, I like wanted to make a decision. Okay. I, I want to focus on one thing. I'm, I'm doing too many things here. And so then I focused on like opening studios, you know, and we grew that and the, the Zen Wellness brand like grew out of that for many years. And so I stopped doing music professionally. And then 17 years later, you know, after building the business and, you know, raising a family, doing these different things, this was about six years ago, I, I came back to the music and said, okay, you know, now I'm going to put everything together and, and combine it and, and, and teach like the meditation and teach the wellness, we call it, you know, the five elements, like, like take these old wisdom teachings and translate them into music so that it's more accessible. And, and, and so what really, like what grew out of it and what's become like really popular is the songs that are five minutes long that you put on one song and you do a meditation to it. And the meditation is simple. You just breathe through the bell. Like there's a bell every four seconds, you know, you close your eyes and you can do a few other internal things as well. But if you just sit down, shut up and breathe through the bell for five minutes, <laughs> you do that for seven days, you start to feel the effect. And we have so many people that have never been able to meditate that now all of a sudden they can. So it's like you have a tool because if I say, hey, you know, meditate an hour in the morning and an hour in the evening, well, no one's going to do that. If right. I, you know, five minutes, sit down, listen to this music for one song, breathe to the bell. Oh, I can do that. And then we, you know, then the habit can build from there. But it takes, it takes about a week of, of doing it. I mean, it's a really minimal commitment when you think about it. Right. Well, and I'm wondering, because I want to go deeper into all of those areas, but I know, you know, a lot of people like me don't know what a lot of the things that you were just talking about mean. And so I'm wondering if we can take a quick step back and first of all, define what do you mean by Zen? I know one of your companies is called Zen Wellness. To you, what does Zen mean? If we could start there. Yeah, we, we have, actually, we have Zen Wellness. We have Zen Yoga, Zen Illumination. I have Zen Piano, Zen Voices. We have a bunch of, uh, <laughs> that's, that's a big part of our brand. And, you know, let, let me even go back. There, there, there's parables about what is Zen. And there's the famous story of, you know, the teacher and the student walking. and the student says, you know, what is Zen? And then the teacher says nothing for a moment. They're, they're, they're walking. And the student's inner dialogue starts to get busy. Oh, no. Well, did I ask a question? Does he think I'm stupid? Does he not want to answer? You know, blah, 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 the voice in the head. And then a few minutes later, the teacher says, can you hear the mountain stream? And of course, he couldn't hear the mountain stream because he had too much inner dialogue. But then when he stopped, started to listen so faint in the distance was the sound of the mountain stream. And then, so after a moment, he said, yes, I can hear it now. And then the teacher said, enter Zen from there. And so what does that point to? It points to 
Like we can define it. I can give you words. I mean, we can Google it. The simple way of looking at Zen, we can say presence. We can say, you know, being in the moment. We can say turning off the voice in the head, like having a gap in the incessant stream of thinking. It's estimated we have between 60,000 and 100,000 thoughts per day and 99% of them are the same thoughts we had yesterday. And so we can define it, but it's more about having the experience. And I love that story when he didn't like give a dictionary definition of Zen. He gave an entry point to experience it. You know, it'd be like saying somebody says, what is eating? And I say, well, here, read this cookbook. You know, can we read all about the cookbook? And then here, read this book on digestion and read this book on nutrition. And, you know, meanwhile, you starve. And so it's kind of the same thing with Zen. And that's what my teacher taught me. That was a form of Zen was listen to the space in between the notes and listen to the gap. And that was an entry point to Zen. Well, and and to clarify, and that's a beautiful analogy, is Zen something that you achieve through things like meditation and presence and whatnot? Or is it, can it become like a way of of being and living? Yeah, it's more about- Where's where's that line? Yeah, yeah. uh, Because, you know, the, the achieving implies like an end result. And okay, I'm done and I achieved it. Like, you know, I achieved Zen. I mean, I guess you could say that, but it's like a momentary or, you know, it, it's, I prefer the word like enter or what you just said, being is really good. I mean, it's, it, it is a matter of being and it's something you fall in and out of. It's not a permanent state. It's a state that you go in and out of. And the more you're in that state, the happier you'll be. But, you know, I think even the Buddha said, hey, where there's no suffering, there's no enlightenment. You know, you need a little bit of suffering <laughs> to bring you to that point. Mm-hmm. Well, in your own life, with all the different things you have going on with your different companies that you talked about and, you know, your black belt and your, you know, being a, a musician as well, like how often do you feel like you maintain the Zen state, so to speak, or, or you enter the Zen state, or is it more just something you can turn on whenever you want to? Well, so one answer is under 100%. So mm-hmm. uh, you're human, uh, you're breathing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, it's not... <laughs> What you get lost into like psychological time or, or, you know, if I will find a little marker for me, if I find myself, if I get frustrated or something, or if I'm um, not maybe light and playful, I've kind of succumbed to past and future, you know, past, future, past, future, past, future, not necessarily being in the moment. So I have like little markers for myself, but it becomes when you do it a lot, when you like have a consistent meditation practice. And I mean, you know, my next birthday is 50. So what is that? 42 years I've been, I've, I've been doing this for. It does become habitual, but at the same time, I still need to do it regularly. It's not like, oh, I've been meditating for 40 years. I don't meditate anymore. That'd be like saying, hey, I've been showering for 40 years. I don't need to shower anymore. I'm good. So, you know, it's something that you still want to do regularly. And really, it's just a little, a simple little five-minute habit can make all the difference in the space between acting and reacting when there's that little tiny dollop of space. It changes everything. It changes your brain chemistry. It changes your, um, your, your outlook. It changes your, your, your happiness. You, you pump less cortisol. That's the death hormone. You pump less of that into your body. You get more serotonin and dopamine. Those are the happy, feel-good chemicals the brain produces. It, it's really amazing. 
Yeah. So what I hear you saying is, and correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, meditation is one of the best ways to, you know, enter what we were talking about as the Zen state, which is good to do, you know, frequently to help you get all those benefits you were talking about, be happier, healthier, have, you know, better brain chemistry. Did I understand that part correctly? That meditation is one of the best ways to do that. Yeah. And the analogy I like to use is, is if I have a snow globe and I shake the snow globe, the snow globe is turbid. If I put the snow globe down on the counter, after a few moments, the turbidity settles and we have clarity. Well, we experience mental and emotional turbidity. And that's just from doing all the stuff that we need to do each day, especially as an entrepreneur. Usually as an entrepreneur, you're pulled in many, many different directions, you know, and it's very easy to get distracted and just to have the voice in the head that doesn't stop. And that's like the, the turbidity. You continue to shake the snow globe. Well, if we just put it down just a few moments, the mental and emotional turbidity starts to settle and then you have more clarity. So what it does, it, it makes you better at whatever it is that you do because a clear head always is going to make you better. Right. Well, and here's, here's the thing you and I have talked about before at some of the Genius Network meetings that we've been at where you've led some different meditation sessions. You know, I used to think that because I could never seem to stop my thoughts during meditation, they would always just keep floating by, that that meant I shouldn't keep doing it because I was doing it wrong. Like, and I now know that that's not the case, but what would you say to somebody telling you that, you know, as a response, like, am I doing it wrong? I quit because I just can't seem to do it right. The thoughts keep coming. See, everybody says that. That's so common. You try it and you quit because, okay, I'm not good at this and I'm doing it wrong and this doesn't make any sense. Or, you know, maybe even if you go to a meditation class, you're sitting there looking around awkwardly. <laughs> you know, am I supposed to be, what's supposed to be happening here in the inner dialogue? I mean, that probably have so common. It still happens to me, even though I keep doing it because I know it works. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I would always have one, one teacher would always say to me, years ago, he'd say, hey, there's no such thing as good or bad Zen. There's only Zen. And if you sit and you do a meditation and your mind doesn't stop because it's, you're very busy, okay, well, hey, you're still building a muscle. And the important thing is that you just stop, connect to your breath, and make your body still. And there's a few different like little mental exercises we can do. The, the one I like to start with and, and the real like simple one, I mean, anyone listening to this, you know, you can do this at any time. It, it's, it's a little easier with the music, but you can actually do it without the music. Is you say to yourself, I wonder what thought I'm going to have next. And then the analogy I like to use, it's like a cat looking at a mouse hole, just waiting for a mouse to come out. The mouse is, of course, the thought, and the cat is you, the observer. And what that does is it activates the observer, that which observes the thoughts, because you are not your thoughts. We're, we're not thoughts. Thoughts are just free flow. Thoughts are like, you know, clouds just kind of moving across the sky. And so, you know, you're going to have all different types of thoughts. And, and what we want to do is have the moment where when we say, I wonder what thought I'm going to have next. And just even for a brief moment, if nothing comes out, you hold that. And then something's going to come out or you're going to forget or you're going to start thinking, oh, I wonder what's for lunch. Oh, I have this busy appointment tomorrow. Oh, what happened? You know, blah, 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 blah. And then you have to catch yourself and you say, you laugh, you know, just internally smile at yourself, laugh at yourself because that's the nature of the mind. It's going to do that. And then you go back to, I wonder what thought 
I'm going to have next. And it doesn't take that long. You just have to practice it. You'll have a little moment of no thought. And the funny thing is, is when you first start to experience that, like you'll have this moment of stillness of nothing. Then you'll go, oh, wow, I just had no thoughts. Wow, that's so cool. Oh, I'm starting to get it. Well, of course, you lost it in that moment. It's like the moment of realization is when you lose it. And that's okay. And then you just go back to it and you continue to do that. And it's, it's a muscle. Like the more you practice it, the easier it is. And the easier it is to like just drop down into that state. And when you're in that state, everything flows better. That's why if you can do it in the morning, I mean, any time of the day is a good time to do it. I mean, we have our members, they'll just take five minute breaks all throughout the day. I mean, we've, we've installed this in companies and they'll just, they'll do like, you know, on the hour, not maybe not every hour, but every other hour, everyone just stops for five minutes and breathes and gets really still and everyone's productivity goes up. Everyone's happier, like the office is happier. So especially if you do your own work, it's just like take a little clarity break or, or you know, you could use the Stephen Covey analogy, never be too busy cutting down trees to take time to sharpen your blade. And it's just like a little blade sharpen that you do uh, regularly throughout the day. I mean, there's many ways to do it. You got to find out what works for you, but just little five minute uh, breaks are very powerful. Yeah, I really like that idea. And I really love the analogies that you just gave on the the snow globe and the, the cat and the mouse and, you know, wondering what thought I'm going to have next, you know, acting like you're the cat watching and waiting on the mouse to come out. Like those are great analogies that I think everybody can relate to that's ever felt this way. And so thank you for giving us those frames of reference to keep in mind. You know, I'm curious, the biggest time I, I the transformation point for me on meditation was when I went to a meditation retreat. And I don't know if I told you this in person before or not, but like, this is when I thought I was doing it wrong to what we were just talking about. So I went to this meditation retreat. because I'm like, I'm going to figure out this meditation thing. Like the thoughts keep coming. What do I do about this? So we, we had this exercise where we were supposed to go out in the lawn for 20 minutes and just lay down on the fresh grass and just have a question that we wanted to have answered. But while quieting our mind, ask the question and then quiet our minds for 20 minutes. And the question that I had asked was, how can I have the schedule I've always wanted? You know, the, what I now call my Tuesday, Thursday schedule. Yeah, wow. and, yeah. And at some point during the meditation, it was like I heard a voice in my ear and this was, you know, me hearing a thought, but I didn't know where it came from. All you have to do is make today what you want tomorrow to be. You know, what are you waiting for? All you have to do is make today what you want tomorrow to be. And I'm like, where did that come from? So I'd love to, you know, so, you know, I ended up changing my whole life because of that, starting with an experiment. And I won't, you know, go into all that here because listeners here will hear about that in some of the different episodes. But what was happening from your perspective there of where was that thought coming from? Or can we even really know where it's coming from? You know, sometimes I know it's coming from, might be coming from our higher self. Sometimes it might be coming from the divine. Like, I'm just, I'd love your thoughts on, you know, how can we tap into where those answers are coming from? It's so hard to know because you weren't me in that moment. So, well, you know, <laughs> a really good question. And we can, we can, uh, you know, a big, long philosophical question on this. And, and but, but it's, it's usually profound. And, and let me give you a few answers to that. The, like the word human being, there's, there's actually, there's a, a profound teaching in that word because there's two parts of us. There's the human part and there's the being part. And the human part constantly changes. Like we're, we're very different than when we were eight years old. Like all, everything about us, every seven years, every cell in the body replaces itself and, and replenishes. So actually, literally, the person that you were seven years ago is totally different than the person that you, that you are now. So that's the human part. The being part 
doesn't change. We're still that, you know, eight-year-old observer that we see. And that's part of that observer and tapping into that is like the thing that observes your thoughts. And when you get really still, like when you don't have the same, like all the internal dialogue and the, and the busyness in the head, it's back to like the clarity analogy that things just like magic happens, like ideas happen and creativity happens and all ty- like, like you can tap into, we can call it your subconscious mind. We can call it the divine. We can say the pineal gland, the little part in the head is like the in- antenna to the divine. I mean, we can use any type of, you know, reference or analogy and, you know, kind of depending on your belief system, you can have a different way of, of you know, looking at that. However, it really doesn't matter if you just tap into it. It's like turning on a light switch. I mean, does it, do you really care all the inner workings? And if you're not an electrician, just turn it on and you get light. And so when you go into the place where there's not that inner dialogue, it's amazing how you can just tap into creativity. And, and that, that's actually how I compose music. And that's one of the reasons I'm able to compose music at the speed in which I'm able to compose because I, I go into that place. There, there's, a, there's a saying on the piano. Uh, you say, you know, write music with your hands tied behind your back. And what that points to is, you know, if anyone's been involved in music, you know, after a while, you're going to have like your go-to, what your nervous system is going to have go-to movements, whatever instrument, piano, guitar, whatever, a violin, your, your nervous system gets used to doing it and you have muscle memory. So you're going to have your go-to. But then the question is, is can you go beyond what your fingers want to do and tap into something creative that comes from your mind or your soul or subconscious, wherever it comes from, without being limited to your nervous system and, and, your, and, and your muscle memory. So we say, you know, write with the music tied behind your back. And, and so one of the things that I'll do is I'll just sit at the piano and just very still and I'll go to the place of nothing. And something always comes up 100% of the time. An idea comes, a concept comes, a melody, something always comes. Now, it's not always good. <laughs> like, I can't always use it. It's like going to the store. And if you just know how to get to the store, then, you know, oh, wow, look at all these things in the shelf. I have so many things to, to, you know, to choose from. And so that's one way that you can use meditation is you plant the question. You, you ask yourself a question. It was a very, your, your, your meditation teacher was, I think, very good to, to have you do that. You know, just ask yourself a question. And, you know, the subconscious mind, I think Earl Nightingale used to talk about this. The subconscious mind is like fertile soil and fertile soil doesn't matter what you plant in it. You can plant an oak tree or poison ivy. Fertile soil is just going to grow whatever you plant in it. So you plant a question that's going to serve you in your subconscious mind and then see what comes up. And do you do that every time or just during some meditations? Like sometimes I will have a, where I go into meditation, a ritual, and I'll ask a question. Other times I'll just, the intention will be just to be still. So yeah. how do you vary that for yourself? Absolutely. It just depends on what's going on. Okay. It just totally, totally depends on, on, on the moment. I mean, that my habit is usually just to be very still and to do nothing. That's like what happens most times. But if I'm doing something actively, like, okay, I need to think through this, or sometimes just even entrepreneurial stuff, you ask your question you say, okay, what's, what's the best solution, you know, to accomplish this? Or what's the best way for my staff right now that I can have them work together in harmony 
I mean, I'm just making up these questions. Right. You can say any type of question and you just, you say that and you get really clear on it and just go into a still, a still point. The, the, the Keith Cunningham, when he talks about thinking time for work, you know, like any entrepreneur needs to like schedule thinking time just to think through it. I, I actually think that's quite brilliant. And so I will do that. But what I like to do is before, because thinking time is different than meditation time. Mm-hmm. It's, it's totally different. Here you're actively like thinking and engaged and okay, what do I do about this? And let's think this through. So that, that, that's not about being still. And that's also not about letting your subconscious mind necessarily do the work. It's, it's, it's active thinking. And as an entrepreneur, you're very wise, I think, to do thinking time. I, 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 I got that. I, like after listening to Keith Cunningham, I got better at that. He, like he made me think of that. And so but what I like to do is what I added to it is before the thinking time, I'll do meditation. And it doesn't have to be long. It's maybe even just sit still for 10 minutes and I'll, I'll know, okay, I have, you know, 20 minutes that I'm going to think through something, an, an issue in my business. But before then, I'm just still not thinking about it for 10 minutes. And then, okay, let me think this through, whatever I need to think through for thinking time. And it's just better. It's like you're just, your, your mind's better, you're sharper, your thinking is better everything functions better. Gotcha. So really for somebody who's on the fence about meditation and they're a busy entrepreneur and they think they don't have time for it, sounds like you'd say just, even if you just spend five or 10 minutes at a time or a day, do it and you'll get the benefits of being happier, tapping into higher intelligence and creativity and having, having more flow opportunities. Is that, is that fair? Could you even you got it. in 10 minutes help you get those? Yeah. And then, you know, what also happens a lot of times because we work with a lot of entrepreneurs and the hardest part is just getting started. And once you get into it, it becomes your favorite time of the day. Yes. Most peaceful. And you just go to the place of just peace and you're just so happy when you sit. And it's also five minutes because everyone has five minutes. If you're an entrepreneur and you actually don't have five minutes, you're not a very good entrepreneur. (laughs) Right. You're not delegating enough. You're not taking advantage of all the things available to you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which used to be me, but I've changed my <laughs> changed my ways of life. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's just in our own heads if we think we don't have five minutes. So I think you've pretty much given a no excuses answer for somebody who's been on the fence and also demystified the whole, you're not doing it wrong. You're, zen is zen. Whether you have a thought or you don't have a thought, you can still do it correctly. Yeah, just it's, it's still and then just connect into the breath. Because, uh, you know, one of the things we, we, we teach at Zen Wellness is there's this concept. They figured this out like 6,000 years ago. It's called three treasures. And what does three treasures mean? We're made up of three things, matter, energy, and consciousness. And we can use an H2O analogy. If I have H2O, we have solid, liquid, and vapor. And the matter is everything you can see, touch, and feel. Okay, we know that. The energy is... There's, there's this thing called chi, which is bioelectric energy that like powers us. Also, the energy is in the breath. And also, energy is an emotion because you can't see emotion. It's not like you can hold anger in your hand. Emotion is something that runs through you. It's like a, it's like a current. You know, high emotions, low emotions. They're all, you know, it's that. And then the third one is consciousness, or we could use the word spirit. We can, we can call it whatever we want, but there's also, there's something, you know, greater than just the, just the, the, the energy. So we have matter, energy, and consciousness. And what we do in, in our, our program, in our, our training programs, we align all three. 
And so what does that mean? Well, the easiest to teach, like, you know, we can do in this context and verbally I can, I can teach somebody how to meditate. I mean, I think your listeners now, you know, they have the resources right now. (laughs) We gave away the secret here, you know, sit down shut up and do it. (laughs) Um, But there's also other types of meditation. There's like moving meditation and there's standing. So it's like sitting meditation, standing meditation and moving meditation. And when you're doing movement, I mean, we have a whole protocol of, 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 of movements that we do. You align the body, the breath, and the intention. And what happens is, is you get such a greater ROI on your time of movement. I mean, you can even do that in the gym. And actually, I, I like the gym. Going to the gym is good. And I go to the gym a couple times a week and I, I, I lift weights. However, you know, you go and you build a strong bicep, but you don't die of a bad bicep, you die of a heart attack. So there's limitations that you're going to get, you know, in the, in the gym. But if you go to the gym and let's do, say the bicep, well, if you just do the movement, that's better than doing nothing else. But if you add breath to each, like, you know, we'll use this analogy with a curl for the biceps and also add intention where you put your mind right into the muscle that you're working like don't have it on the television don't be looking it around just go inward like every time you do a movement you breathe and intend or just put your mind and feel it right there the same workout you get such a greater roi on the same time it's such a such a better like use of time oh wow that's really cool you know i hadn't thought about the the intention part you know combining it with the body and the breath so that's really cool I'll have to check out more of your your events and see if there's one I can come to in the future. Sounds awesome. You're always invited. Yeah, to I appreciate our, that. Our events out here, maybe next time at a genius. <laughs> meet, yeah, meet that, that would be awesome. You know, so you know, you mentioned chi, and you know, I know one of the things I've always been confused about, and I'm sure some of the other listeners are as well, is you know, what's the difference between things like qigong and yoga and tai chi? They all sound so similar, and like. Are they like different ways of doing the same thing, or could you demystify that for us, please? Yeah, let's 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 demystify. I mean, they're all similar, and you know, anyone if you know if you get a good like lineage or a good teacher, you're going to coordinate movement, breath, and intention, and they all. I mean, if you go far back enough, if we go back six thousand years, like the roots are pretty much the same thing. So it's like that they they share the same roots, like different branches on the same tree. But what all of those disciplines in one way or another, it's bringing your awareness in of, of you know, matter, energy, and consciousness really, really, really sums it up. I mean, the yoga practices are, you know, more about like holding postures and going through flow postures. The cool thing about a good Qigong or Tai Chi class, you work on mobility as well and grace that you start to move, um, you know, so the, some of the standing movements. I mean, we even get people in our organization that come in not healthy at all. I mean, blown out, sometimes one, one foot on the, in the grave. I mean, and that's okay. We don't care your starting point. And they'll say, oh, you know, I really want to do, do yoga. Well, they're not even ready for yoga. I mean, yoga, yoga would actually damage them. It'd be too difficult to sit, stand, sit, stand. And so we'll start them with uh, some of the protocols that are just more appropriate, like some of the Qigong and the Tai Chi. If you can't like sit down and come back up and sit down and come back up comfortably, then you usually don't want to start with the yoga. You'd be better off starting with uh, one of the other disciplines, usually Qigong or a Tai Chi as well. But to answer your question, they're probably, if we really broad stroke it, more similar than they are different. It's like different tools in the toolkit. 
Gotcha. So somebody could do one, but not all three of them and get great benefits, or you could do all three because they're all just like different flavors of similar things coming at it from a little different perspective. I mean, long enough over a longer period of time, you're probably going to going to wind up doing all three. I mean, even in in our program, we incorporate all of them. You know, we take the, like, we take the best of, we've been doing this a long time. So we, 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 you know, we've put together the best and most, you know, basically beneficial because we've been in the field for, for, for so long. I've I've been teaching, I've been teaching this full time for over a quarter of a century. My, My business partner, Michael Leone, even longer than me. He's, I don't know, 35 years or something he's been teaching this. So, so we, you know, we see what works in the field and what works, we, we bring it in. If something doesn't work, then we don't use it anymore. Right. Well, speaking of what works, I know in your bio, it talks about how you have observed in working with a lot of clients that were both rich and broke, mm-hmm. um, you know, meaning that they had a lot of monetary success, but that they were, their well, well-being had suffered. You know, what have you observed what was typically going on there and, and then how did you help them overcome it? You know, and, and that's a, a really good question. And I, I think you help people in the same way. Sometimes there's an entrepreneurial trap where success becomes a trap, where maybe you have things and you have money, but you don't have, for the, first of all, there's just basic health and wellness. And, and that could be measured in like energy level and also inspiration. And then there's emotion and, and, and happiness and feeling good and, and just feeling good throughout the day. Now, is it possible to be happy 100% of the time? It's an interesting question because if you're happy 100% of the time, then you're never happy. <laughs> it's like if everything were blue, then nothing is blue. There's no contrast. You right. need a little contrast. And if, if you're familiar with the yin and yang symbol, that's one of the teachings in, in that symbol. Like the moment you create happiness, well, you have to create its opposite. And we can, whatever word we want to use, we can say sadness. So you need a little dollop of sadness to even create happiness. And so, okay, so we have these emotions and these emotions, you know, flow through us. But a lot of times you can have things, but not be happy. And then, so what good are the things? And then we see entrepreneurs, you know, working to grow their business more to, to what? Get more things? What do you need? What do you need more stuff? You, you think another house, another whatever is going to make you happier? No, that's going to make you happier. The first one would have done it. <laughs> but things don't make you happy. They're just things. And, and it's also, it is impermanent. So, so a, a, a discipline that we teach, it's if we look at emotions, because somebody's going to say, I'm angry. Like I'm really pissed off and I'm really angry. No, that's not correct. What is correct is you have anger energy running through you. And it's a real subtle difference, but it's actually profound because the moment you say, I am angry, you just identified with that emotion. It's like, no, you're not angry. You're, you know, you're, you're you. <laughs> Anger's running through you. Oh, that can be true. You might, you know, if you're, something happens and usually, usually anger happens when something doesn't go as you planned. You had a vision and the reality is far off from your vision. So we experience resistance and it shows up as anger and anger is an energy and the anger runs through you and it can feel overwhelming, but you're not angry. You have anger type energy running through you. And that little mental shift creates the little bit of space between you and the emotion. And then you don't necessarily even take it as seriously. It's like, then you can, ah, you know, you take a couple deep breaths. Okay, so this is what it is. Let's take a look and let's see what I can do about it. And you can like quickly uh, or quicker recover 
from it. Because once you, once you have anger energy in you, it's useless to say, well, you shouldn't be angry. You know, that's not right. You shouldn't be angry about that. Or you should take the high, it doesn't matter. It's, it's like the, the cat's out of the bag here. <laughs> you know, the energy is running through you. So once you're in that space, if you can make the little, you know, connection of, or, or of it's not you, it's just energy running through you. That's part of emotional mastery which is really one of the keys to happiness. And emotional mastery doesn't mean controlling your emotions. I don't know how to control emotions. I don't know if I'd want to control emotions if I, if I could. What fun would that be? But it's like owning and directing and having them, you know, run, run through you. I love that way of looking at it. Like, thank you for sharing that analogy. You have a really great way of giving analogies. So thank you for that. Thank you. Um, so I'm curious, and I, I think a lot of other listeners probably are as well, you know, we hear about, you know, people that reach the highest state in meditation and what that's like, and, you know, what's that called? And what is that like, assuming that you've achieved that, you know, is it called nirvana or what, I don't know what you call it, but like you hear in different practices um, that call different things. You know, there's a lot of different words. Sometimes there's a word satori is a word. Satori means a, a glimpse of enlightenment and right. And we can say nirvana and we can, we can use all these, um, we can use a lot of words and you know, that's a funny thing because that's, it's more of, it's like, especially when we're talking to entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs are so outcome-based and goal-based and success-based. And that's kind of what it takes, you know, to be an entrepreneur. Hey, you got to have, you got to have goals. If you just, you know, sit around meditating all day, well, it's hard to run a business while doing, while doing that. So you got to, you got to roll up your sleeves here. But what happens is, it's more of, you know, something that you continue to get better at. It's more about being than achieving. You know, it's more of a path than a destination. And so it's something that like when you can have, you know, lesser and lesser inner dialogue, because, you know, what I said earlier, most of the thoughts that we have are, are useless because we already had them and you don't need to loop thoughts over and over again. And so the more you can kind of calm that down and calm that inner dialogue, just the better you, you, you function. And, and we can use these words. You see, there was a book written 2,500 years ago, a super cool book called The Tao Te Ching. It was written by a guy named Lao Tzu. And the first chapter, there's 81 passages. Really, the first two are the only ones you need to know. And actually, I can explain it to you now, so you don't even need to read the book. I'll tell you what you need to read from the, know from the book. He uses the word Tao, T-A-O. And Tao can have a lot of different meanings. Like Tao, we can use the word God. We can say universal intelligence. You know, we can say the great creator or whatever it is. And so he explains, okay, there's the Tao. Then he goes on to say, however, the moment we call it a word, it's not it. Like we're talking about something that is beyond mind. Like, like God is beyond mind or the infinite is beyond the mind because the mind is finite and the finite can't understand the infinite because the infinite can't be understood from mind viewpoint. And so he go, you know, goes on to talk about, we're going to use the word Tao, but it doesn't really matter what word we use. It's just a word. But the moment we call it something, everything we say is wrong. It's like talking about it is wrong because it's not something that can be put into words. And let's use the word Tao, but let's look at it as a, like a pointer, like a signpost that says, hey, look over there. But 
you know, there's a Buddhist saying that says the finger that looks at the moon is not the moon. So, you know, don't look at the finger, look to where the finger points. It's, it's kind of the same idea. And so this, a lot of times this, what happens here comes beyond words. It's a stillness. It's a, a, like an inner, I can say inner peace. Maybe we can say inner allowing where you, where you allow, where you drop resistance. See, see a lot of the suffering, like if we wanted to teach a course on suffering, say, okay, everyone, we need to all suffer more. I would teach three things, how to resist, how to attach, and how to judge. So we would resist the now, you know, looking at your watch, tapping your watch, always wanting to be somewhere else. We would judge, oh, that's good. Oh, that's bad. Oh, that person's stupid. Oh, I'm better than them. Oh, I'm not as good as them. We, we'd get to create a lot of inner dialogue. And then we'd attach. Like we'd, we'd cling, oh, I need all my stuff. Okay, oh, I have to have my stuff and my things and I have to have this experience. I mean, I'm obviously being very sarcastic right now. <laughs> but, you know, suffering, like internal suffering comes from attachment, resistance, and judgment. And that all comes from inner dialogue. And so the more you drop that, there's a sense of allowing. And there's a sense of, okay, this, this, this moment is good. And why is this moment is good? Because I'm making it good. And this moment is okay. And you, sometimes you might not like this moment. I mean, hey, things happen, things happen in life. And I mean, I was just having this conversation and it's like, internally, you want to be in a space of allowing. Externally, you know, you can allow. Sometimes you got to fight. I mean, you're an attorney, you know that. <laughs> sometimes you got to roll up your sleeves and you got to battle and yeah, I mean, you have to do stuff. And that's just living in the world and that's just being practical. But if you can keep the internal allowing that's where like the power and that's where that discipline becomes really powerful. Yeah. So thank you for explaining that. Cause you know, I've always wondered like, what is it like when you achieve, you know, Nirvana or Satori or, you know, and I, I hear people talk about, I'm trying to get back to there. And like, the more I try to get back to there, it like escapes me. I think that is that looking at it wrong when you, when you're looking at it like that? Yeah. And it's, you know what it is. It, sometimes it's like a fish looking for water. <laughs> And from fish viewpoint, it's really hard to see water. Mm-hmm. You know, where is it? Where's the water? Hmm. Okay. It's over here. Oh, who's selling the water? Who's hawking water now? <laughs> you know, you go to a water store as a fish, <laughs> but really, wait a minute. Once you see it, it's everywhere. And the discipline is just dropping into it. And if it's almost like it's a contrary energy of, oh, you know, I need to achieve it. Because that's the, the mind loves to say, I want to achieve it because we can think of the word, the monkey mind, you know, it's a old saying and there's a saying in meditation that says, chain the monkey to the tree. And what does that mean? It means get the monkey to shut up. (laughs) The monkey mind is what I call it. (laughs) However, you got to realize the monkey is a master locksmith. And however long you chain that monkey to the tree, that monkey's going to escape. It's going to come out and it's going to trick you. And it's going to even trick you with, with, with stuff like that. Oh, wow. You need to get back to that state. Hey, let's get back to that state. Hey, here's, here's what we're going to do. But you can't get back to that state with the monkey. Like the monkey has to shut up. And so it's almost a trick of, of the inner dialogue. And that's where the discipline of having the off button. I mean, that's what so many, again, specifically the entrepreneurs will say to us. We're like, wow, you know, I, I developed the off button. And that's so powerful. Like the off button changed my life just having that and being able to go into the place. And sometimes, you know, sometimes you got so much or your mind is so full or you're so into a, like time or, 
you know, the, a, a project and it gets very hard to shut it off. Okay. Well then it's right now it's, huh? Well, wow. Then, then, then you even just observe, wow, my mind doesn't want to stop right now. Okay. Well, let's take a deep breath. Wow. I have a busy mind. Okay. And just observe. And you don't resist the fact that it's busy. It's like you don't add another layer of, of pain or resistance on top of what already is. Right. Yeah, I know we're almost out of time. So if you only had one tip you could give to entrepreneurs around the world that has the power to transform their lives, I know you've already shared so many great ones with us. What would that one be if they were only to take action on one thing, a ritual they could install or enhance that they're already doing to change their life for the better? Sit down, shut up for five minutes, <laughs> put on one of the music you know, pieces with the bell, breathe every four seconds and ask yourself, I wonder what thought I'm going to have next. No excuse. Do it for five minutes. Do it seven days in a row and you'll start to feel that difference. I mean, it's so easy. It's so simple, but you just have to do it. It doesn't work thinking about it. It's like, you know, if you're really hungry, you can't read a cookbook. You have to eat. And this is something that you actually have to do. Thank you for that. And thanks for sharing so many of your great analogies and demystifying so much of, of this for us today. I've really enjoyed chatting with you and uh, about all those things. So I'm wondering, do you have any resources or websites you can point people to if they want to get more information or any free resources that they can have? Yep. I'll give you two websites. The Zen Wellness is zenwellness.us. And we have like a little mini course that you can opt into. And then the second is the music site jasoncampbellmusic.net. And it's the same thing. You can opt in and there's a little, you know, meditation and we'll send you one of the MP3s. I mean, you can also find me on, you know, whatever iTunes and Spotify and Apple music and, and all of that. But we will, I have a lot of albums. Like if you go to the website, we'll direct you to one of the, the meditation tracks that has a bell, you know, and how to do it with that. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here with me today. I really enjoyed our conversation and I know that the listeners will really enjoy this uh, with all the things you've demystified for. So thank you so much for joining me. And remember everyone, freedom is a mindset, not a destination. Until next time. Thanks so much for listening. For more information about The Vacation Effect or for details on today's show, head over to our website at vacationeffect.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.